Welcome to Navigating Your Child's Education, a podcast for parents, grandparents, and anyone raising or influencing kids from preschool to high school. I'm your host, Laura, and today we will be exploring the topic of sports in school. Joining us today are three men who represent many years of experience with school sports. First, let's meet Kevin Weekly. Hey everyone, thankful to have the opportunity to be here today uh, with two great men in the world of athletics. Um, uh, as Laura shared, my name is Kevin Weekly. I'm an athletic director and coach. I've been in this role for 20 years uh, in the state of Ohio. And uh, I'm also a parent, have the opportunity to work with um, um, uh, three children, uh, our oldest and our uh, middle child are both daughters that play, uh, play sports uh, in high school. And then our youngest is a sixth grader. So get to be a part of athletics, both in the, the coaching and administrative world, but also the, uh, the parental world as well. Thank you. Next, let's meet Wes Elifritz. Thanks, Laura. Um, my name is Wes Elfritz, as Laura said, and I am a, uh, the, an athletic director at a large public school here in central Ohio of approximately 1,400 students. Uh, this is my fifth year in that role. Um, the 11 years prior to becoming an athletic director, I was a, a middle school teacher and also coached uh, basketball uh, at the high school level. And uh, my wife uh, is a teacher as well uh, in, the, in the private school system, and we have three children, uh, two daughters ages eight and six, and my son is three. So um, they're just starting th this youth sport uh, role themselves, so I kind of get to be a dad in that uh, the sports world for the first time, which is definitely an eye-opener after coaching for so long. Um, but I appreciate the opportunity to be here uh, and join these guys, and uh, thank you for this opportunity. And finally, let's meet... Doug Ute. Hey, thank you for uh, having me on. I share an excitement of, of everybody in this room about an opportunity to come in and talk about sports and youth and those, uh, those type of things. I am currently the executive director of the Ohio High School Athletic Association, and, uh, but I, I don't consider myself an executive director, so to speak. I'm a, a, a former, for 35 years, I was involved in public education as a uh, teacher and a coach, as a coach and an athletic director as a high school principal in the last 20 uh, previous to this current role as a super school superintendent. Uh, I'm also a parent of four children that gained immense uh, value from uh, athletics, uh, whether it be from school athletics or, or uh, youth, youth sports coming up through. And, and I'm the white-haired guy in the room that can now say I also have eight grandchildren, and two of them are very heavily involved in as fifth and sixth graders in uh, to youth sports. And so uh, that's kind of, of neat. And, and then uh, from a, a perspective of family, I have uh, my wife was a longtime volleyball coach at a school, and I have two daughters that coached volleyball. And so it's just part of our family athletics have been. Let's dig into our first question. What have you guys seen change in regards to sports in school over the course of your career? And perhaps what has stayed the same? I'm sitting here because of the experiences that I had in high school uh, through sports. You know, I was very fortunate to go to school in Richland County, uh, Clear Fork High School, and had tremendous uh, influences in my life uh, through sports. And, and uh, you know, that, that set good examples and, and really made me the type of leader I am today, that foundation for me. And just from that influence, and it was for me, 
it was uh, sports when you're a young young man playing football, basketball, baseball, and and uh, so I recognized that. So I really recognized the power that our coaches have and, and the positive influences so many of them can be over me. As a matter of fact, uh, they were they encouraged me to get into education and, and become a coach. Uh, from that standpoint, they saw something in me that they thought, hey, this guy can make an inf- uh, make an impact on on somebody's uh, life. So some of the things I've seen change over the years are, is just really maybe the community involvement and, and the influence, those influences from the outside on really good athletes now uh, because of, of the, and I'm not saying they're all negative, uh, but they can be. Uh, but when I was in high school uh, 40 years ago, our high school basketball coach, because uh, we're talking about basketball, our high school basketball coach, was the person that I was around all the time. And now kids are, are around so many different other factors from playing AU and, and those type of things. Uh, uh, to, uh, and it can be positive, but sometimes it can be negative too. And, and so I, I've seen the influences on, on uh, our student athletes uh, broaden, so to speak, uh, that way. And, and then the other, I, I would say, from a community standpoint, and we still have communities in Ohio where Friday night, that's the place to go. Uh, but, but two, I think when you get in the, in the outer belts of our cities, that, that it's not necessarily true uh, like it was uh, at one time. Yeah, I, I can echo a lot of what uh, Doug just shared. And I, I guess the question, Laura, about what's changed in the course of our career, I go back to just 21 years ago when I graduated high school and, and, and think of how things have changed in just that short amount of time since since I was a student athlete in high school. Um, and I think I go along with what Doug just shared in, in the increase in club sports in our society, and and when when you have uh, our student athletes being exposed to this AAU coach or this club volleyball coach or this personal workout trainer, um, it now allows them to have so many different voices um, that it causes almost of a, a a conflict for our high school coaches because as as Doug shared, um, that used to just be the one voice that we listened to for that particular sport, and and, and many of our club coaches are phenomenal folks who have the best interest of kids in mind, but I think that club mentality of um, I can choose my own team that's going to provide me with the most amount of playing time, when they get to the high school then, there's a conflict there because now um, now you're up against everybody else at your own school and maybe that playing time's not there or maybe we're asking a little bit more of a commitment level for the school setting than maybe the club uh, asks you for. And I think that mindset has just changed um, at the high school level for some of our kids. And I would also echo the uh, the community support. I, I was blessed to grow up in a small rural community um, over in the Dayton, Ohio area, um, where whether it was basketball or football or what have you, that was the place to be. Um, and, and, and as you get to a larger school, uh, people are more stretched thin. There's other things to do. And, and so that lack of community support um, uh, kind of plays a role for some of our schools. So um, I think in just the last 20 years, the focus on the community-based team has now shifted more on a lot of our kids are now putting that club level or AAU level almost as a higher importance than, than their school team. I share a lot of those thoughts, um, you know, for me, I was sitting in a OHSAA um, new administrator workshop 20 years ago, my, my first year. And uh, the thing that 
um, the commissioner at that time spoke about was educational athletics. So for me, what has stayed the same are the kids to me. I, uh, you know, the relationships, the things that, um, that are taught to, to kids through sports. Um, and I talk a lot about in our parent meetings uh, with our parents, uh, the difference between club sports, which they've referred to, and educational athletics, which is what OHSAA is all about. And uh, we try as a school um, to hold to those ideals, relationships, have fun, be a part of a, a team, learn to sacrifice for the good of the group, those things. I think those things can still be taught um, to kids uh, on our teams. The challenge becomes many of the things that um, Doug and Wes have talked about uh, are the outside influences. Um, I think uh, the year round with no breaks for kids, there's massive pressure to perform. There's social media um, pressures that um, make it really difficult for us as coaches to try to put together a team where the kids are um, trying to do what is best for the group, play their role to the best of their ability, and to develop that chemistry and culture that coaches want to have uh, when trying to put a team together. I will say one of the things that has changed for us is the, the self-promotion of individual players. And that has been a real challenge for me as a coach. Um, Twitter, Instagram, you know, social media platforms where kids are posting about all of the things that they do. And then they come to me as a coach and I have to find a way to make them be a part of the team and value the role that they're given. So. So those are some of the things that I've changed. I don't think the kids have changed. And uh, I think if we're able to work with them without all those out outside influences, you know, it's not too hard. But um, the challenge becomes, you know, all those things that we're competing against outside of school. You've all mentioned club sports as being a key factor and impact uh, in school sports. I would love to hear your thoughts on the difference between those two. Is there a difference in the purpose of club sports compared to educational athletics, as you've all mentioned? Yeah, I, I think, Laura, there's, there's definitely um, some distinct differences when it comes to what I feel our student athletes get out of those things. I think ultimately, um, you play club sports or you play high school sports for the joy of the game and, and the thrill of competition and wanting to see your, your, your kid get better. Um, I, I think the rise in club sports, especially as you, as you look at the younger and younger children, um, you know, like you know, my, my oldest daughter is, is eight years old, and I think you have all-year travel teams already for certain sports where parents are shelling out hundreds and thousands of dollars uh, with the hope that their child is going to get better. Whereas, you know, when I look back to when I played, um, you know, we all kind of played, you know, rec league up until a certain age before you really started to get serious in that AAU scene. And really that was more for the, 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 the cream of the crop or the most talented players at that time. Now everybody's playing and what you see then is um, kind of an oversaturation of, of certain sports, whereas, again, we're shelling out all of this money. Um, and sometimes I ask our parents um, or good friends of mine who are, you know, having their son or daughter in club activities, like, what, what's the end game here? What, what is your end goal? You want your son or daughter to get better. And a lot of times it's, well, we'd, we'd like him to get that scholarship, right? Uh, we want him to, and, and that's a great goal. Don't get me wrong, but, it, but the reality is in a lot of our sports at the college level, that scholarship isn't going to make up for all of that money that you spent 
on those club teams. And, 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 and the other thing, I was actually talking to one of our young ladies today before I left my high school who's dealing with injury, uh, who's dealing with an injury because of a club sport that she plays all year round. Uh, and you see the rise in these overuse injuries where we are now having students who, who would have been excellent multi-sport athletes for us who are now zoned into that one sport because if I don't play this all year round, then I'm never going to be good enough to get that college scholarship. But again, it comes back to all this money that I've put into this club sport uh, might actually be more than the scholarship that I might earn. And now I'm also increasing my risk of that overuse injury. So um, whereas I look at the, the, the educational-based athletics, you're playing for your community. And there, there's a lot of pride that I take in that when our kids represent something bigger than themselves, where they're playing as a team and wearing our school colors and wearing the name of our community on that jersey. And community members are coming and, and, and cheering them on. And, um, you know, we're, we're taking that away. Um, I don't think you get that as much with the club sport level. Uh, Wes, you brought up some really good points, uh, and I totally agree with everything you're saying. One thing that you talked about was the hundreds and thousands of dollars, and you know, I would I would caution people to to because it is all about getting better, uh, meeting new people, uh, those type of things, and establishing relationships with with people because life's about relationships. and And I've noticed uh, from from uh, our experiences the relationships that my kids. Uh, my grandkids are forming now, and my wife and I have formed lifelong friends uh, from from uh, club sports and those type of things. And so uh, from my perspective now, having kids go through that, grandkids go through it, that's been really neat to see. And, and I always caution people uh, to say the jersey's not going to make you better. So if this is the best, if you, if you want to walk around and say my child plays for the best club in central Ohio and and, and I pay thousands of dollars, and I got the jersey and the sweatsuit and the bag to prove it, but your child's not getting an opportunity to play, uh, they're not getting better uh, from that standpoint. So I always encourage folks to get in a club at the level that your child is going to be able to get out there and compete a little bit because that will make them better. And, and not everybody's on that top tier. Uh, you know that It doesn't mean they can't get there, but they won't get there if they're just going along and they're the 12th man and playing – you know, two or three minutes each each weekend and, and getting a trophy and going back to school, I have a trophy. But did you get better and was it a good experience for you? Uh, so I, I always tell folks with, with club-related things, get get somewhere that, that's a good fit for you and your family. So you're around good people. You have a good, solid coach that's going to form positive relationships and, and make it a fun weekend uh, for you because it's not all about winning and, and, and too many parents now – you know, get into that realm of we, you know, we've got to win and we've got to do these things. And, and I, I look at it more as a, a relationship building and, and uh, as I, as I uh, brought up previously. So I, I'd really caution to, uh, especially, you know, we're going through it with the grandkids right now. And I've got grandkids, one just turned 12 yesterday and I've got a one-year-old. So there's seven or six more in between those two. So we do t-ball games, we do flag football games, we do all those type of things, and and we look at it as a family. Uh, is my five-year-old grandson going to pull ten flags on a Sunday? Absolutely not. If he, the only way he's going to pull a flag if he absolutely stumbles and falls into one. But getting out there around other children and, and uh, being around the right coaches, 
can make a world of difference in, in that stuff. It's if if uh, and I look at scholarships from that standpoint, and and, and I happen to be one. My oldest daughter uh, received a full volleyball scholarship uh, to play college volleyball, and a college coach never had a conversation with her high school coach. Uh, talked to a friend who had a friend that coached my daughter, and uh, uh, so. So there, you know, and that was a very positive experience uh, for us uh, from from that standpoint. And uh, so, uh, you know, there are those scholarships out there, but I also have kids that played on great clubs and that that didn't receive a college scholarship. So the end goal, uh, if your child's good enough, somebody's going to come see him. Uh, you, you two know that uh, for sure. And so I wouldn't get caught up on that college scholarship piece of that. Uh, so much in, in the club realm uh, so uh, you know it's uh, again get in somewhere that's going to be a positive re- because if if you don't it's going to be a miserable experience for for you and your family you're gonna have a lot of Sunday nights uh, dinners complaining about the weekend as opposed to hey we got to play a little bit and and I know that uh, you know his high school coach is going to appreciate the fact he's out playing and and maybe they went two and three for the weekend and they didn't win the tournament, but he's playing and he's getting better, which will help him next year when he walks into gym. For me, you know, when, when our children were, were playing t-ball and youth soccer and youth basketball up through grade school, uh, you know, they had the opportunity to meet so many kids and, and us as families that we never would have had the opportunity to meet. As they got older, um, the environment changed a lot, especially in basketball, the world that, that our family is involved in. It got a lot more competitive. Uh, it got to the place where it's hard for kids even to make high school teams if they're not really playing in the AAU world. And um, the diff- primary difference for me between club and school sports, once it got kind of to the higher levels in high school, was the AAU world became about individual things, you know, searching for that scholarship, trying to stand out at tournaments when coaches were watching, um, being being the player that got written about on social media. Um, and it, it, it it's more individually based, whereas the school sports, when you have coaches that are creating a culture where it's about the team, um, it becomes about that versus individual accomplishments. And uh, that is, for me, the primary difference between club and 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 uh, and uh, high school sports is the, just you know the individual nature of club sports and then the team nature of educational based athletics. Uh, I would say too, as Kevin talked a lot about uh, the individual aspects of of uh, club and AAU, uh, the the problem exists then when you get back to your high school and your high school coach is trying to put together a team. Then it then it's a different philosophy for families and, and those, and I think that's why you're seeing so many kids moving around a little bit right now, uh, because it becomes all about them uh, in the off season, and, and then when they get in with their 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 school coach, uh, who's trying to form a team and say, hey, you might have played, you know, shot twenty times in the spring, but I I don't need you to take twenty shots for our team to be successful because we know for every good team. Uh, and Kevin's coached a lot of them. When everybody understands their role and fits together in there as a team, that's that's probably the best teams you, you've had. And uh, might not have been most talent, but they understood their roles and and, and that. So that individualism can come in and and uh, and and hurt those high school sports. 
am interrupting this episode for a quick announcement. One of the most important decisions we make as parents is where to send our kids to school. When we think about how many hours a day our kids are at school, there's no denying the fact that it has a profound influence on who they are. Get to know more about Worthington Christian School by downloading our free 24-page viewbook. Visit worthingtonchristian.com forward slash explore WC. Again, it's worthingtonchristian.com forward slash explore WC. Now back to our show. What expectations should parents have for educational athletics compared to club sports? I mean, first of all, in club situations, like Wes mentioned earlier, you're paying for a product. And if the product isn't met, that generally is frustrating for parents. And that's why in a lot of club sports, you see a lot of movement uh, from team to team. Uh, And you know, school, school sponsored sports. Um, you, you, you don't, you know, there's, there's people are trying out for teams. They're a part of your community. There's an expectation on it. If they make the team, they're probably going to have to fill into some kind of role. And so I, I mean, to me, there's just a big difference between the two because one, one is you're a part of the school and the other one you're paying for you know, a product. Yeah, I, I would echo what Kevin uh, just shared, but I would also say one of the things that parents should always have an expectation of with educational-based athletics is um, ensuring that their son or daughter is is uh, a part of a culture where it's going to be bigger than the game. Um, one of the things that that are that my coaching staff we talk a lot about our culture, which I know Kevin mentioned earlier. But uh, in fact, when 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 the quarantine hit this past spring, um, you know, I'm going to do a little book plug because it's a phenomenal book for any parent or especially coaches. It's called Why the Best Are the Best by Kevin Eastman, who's a former NBA coach. But um, and he talks about how to build a culture within your program where where it's um, you're building leaders uh, so that when when they're done with their sports. Uh, they've learned lifelong lessons. And to me, that's what educational-based athletics should be all, all about. So we kind of created this we-over-me mentality uh, with a new you know, culture vision statement uh, that started this fall. As our kids are going through you know, everything dealing with COVID and all the guidelines, we, we kept the focus on, well, how are we still going to get better through this? So we just kind of created five Cs of citizenship, committed, coachable, consistent, and community, and challenged our teams to do things within the community within your team um, that had nothing to do with that sport um, and when you're wearing again the, the 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 colors of your school or the name of your school take pride in what that represents um, and to see our kids come together and do things uh, regardless of their playing time or their role on the team um, it just it, it, it I think it goes above and beyond what a what a club sport would be will would be able to offer. So you know if I'm a parent and I'm entering a middle school or a, a high school team, um, to me there should be an expectation that this is going to go beyond this sport. They're going to learn what it means to be committed every day. Sometimes club sports you might have practice once or twice twice a week, and on a school sport you might go five six days a week with practices and games. So I'm going to be learn, learning to be committed. I'm going to be able to handle adversity a little bit more. Um, maybe sometimes I'm not going to get what I want, but I'm still going to understand um, again that this is bigger than me. Uh, this is what's best for that team. So when I get out 
out in the real world and I have a boss or I have that job, I'm going to have learned those lifelong lessons through educational-based athletics. And frankly, for a lot of our kids, um, and we're seeing this a lot more now, Laura, with, with, with uh, our blended learning model at my school, um, sports is what motivates our kids to do their absolute best in the classroom. Um, you know, I took those lessons as somebody who wasn't always the most motivated student, but man, when my coach talked to me about how you doing in the classroom, um, you can bet that was, that was something that was going to make me do a little bit better than maybe I was motivating myself internally to do. So, so I think there's so many things in educational-based athletics um, that you just aren't going to get because of the nature of club sports that are going to go such a long way when these kids are done playing that sport. Wes brought up a lot of comments there, and I'll even stretch it more beyond uh, athletics into activities. Uh, you know, a more engaged student is a more successful student. So there are so many studies uh, around that. In my previous school, Newark, uh, we raised our graduation rate uh, by 20-some percent over a 10-year period. And, and it's all about student engagement, be engaged in something. And all those things that Wes talked about, if you could get a school full of coaches that had that philosophy right there or full of uh, extracurricular folks, that life after 2.30 uh, piece there, because we are f uh, faced with more and more issues outside of school. Our children are. Our families are, uh, for that matter. There's a lot more addiction running around out there. There's a lot more troubled uh, students. So when you talk about a social emotional aspect, that's one of the things we talked about this fall that we've seen this fall and hearing from schools by having fall sports during this virus. It has helped the social emotional impact of, of students. Uh, I remember being in, in Newark in June when students could come back for the first time. They could come back and get with one of their coaches. And I, and I would go witness uh, things that uh, our basketball coach and athletic director would tell me uh, Jeff Quackenbush, uh, and I just went over and, and just hung around just to see those, those, the children's faces. I'm talking middle school or high school or whatever, just being around somebody they knew that cared about them, uh, those type of things uh, go a long way. So everything that Wes uh, said there, and I know Kevin uh, does in his program, uh, uh, is what, to me, educational athletics are about. It, it's about participating in something bigger than you uh, that can make you get up and go to school, make you pay attention in English class because you want to be part of something because you feel like that person cares about you. And, and so, uh, you know, that life after 2.30 on everything right there uh, that, that we're talking about right now is what we should all be about uh, in schools right, right now. It's not about uh, uh, taking care of somebody that's getting 25 points a game for you or completing 15 passes a game. It's about taking care of everybody in your program. And, and, and so that's what I want from an administrative standpoint uh, after 2.30 to be full of, a school full of people that can impact children's lives just like that. And, and, and again, for that child who may never score for you, uh, but, but uh, you know, earns that uniform and, and uh, feels part of your program, uh, I would almost guarantee you 10, 15 years down the road, they're going to come back, look you in the eye, and say thank you. Uh, you know, so those are important things, great things. I like hearing that. And, and, and just to follow up on that, Doug, I, I don't think, um, you know, we, we want to make sure that kids and parents understand 
um, you know, all of those things. And we're not naive to, uh, enough to think that every kid's going to, sports are going to be their ticket to college. I think about 10%, if that, of our high school student athletes get to play at the next level. I was not a Kevin Weekly uh, type basketball player in high school. Um, so I understand as a role player and playing the sports that I played, my coaches still had a huge impact on me in, in helping me get where I'm at today. My love for sports wasn't because I was the best. My love for sports was because uh, it motivated me, it kept me going, and I couldn't wait to connect with my coaches, and I got to work with my athletic director a little bit in high school. So that, you know, that's kind of paved the way for, for me being here today. But, you know, for those 90% of kids who aren't going to go on and play for high school, I ask my coaches all the time, what are we doing to make their experience so great that they can't wait to come back and play for you again next year? And it's not playing time or points per game. It's those memories that they're going to create in the locker room, doing things community service out in the community, um, having those team get-togethers when you're allowed to get together as a team, or those team meals. When our kids speak at banquets and they talk about memories, very rarely is it about a game, right? It's about those things that they get to do as a part of that team culture uh, that they remember forever. And I'm grateful that I had coaches that built me up as a person, um, regardless of my role on the team. Kevin, you mentioned that club sports, you're paying for a product. So I imagine that the relationship between a parent and coach in that setting would be different than in an educational athletic setting. And I wonder if parents that are heavily involved in club sports, if perhaps some of those dynamics bleed over into educational athletics in a way that um, may cause tension or frustration or miscommunication. I can speak to a couple of things that we share. Um, we, we have to have preseason meetings um, that the OHSA requires. Thanks for that, Doug. Uh, every season with our parents. And, and we very respectfully, you know, just share some expectations that we'd like to have in that parent-coach dynamic and relationship. And I openly share that um, I know many of your sons and daughters are coming from different club teams and they've got great experiences. And And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that they're participating in those things outside of our school sports. But uh, here, um, yeah, the dynamic's a little bit different because you're coming in from different clubs and now we're asking you to all play on one team or try out for the one team. And we need to be respectful of the fact that our coaches are going to have to make those tough decisions. So um, I always Always openly say there's going to be times where every single one of you is going to disagree with something that our coaches do this year, whether it be playing time or scheme or whatever. Um, but here's kind of our ground rules that we want to set that we're not going to text or email uh, any coaches regarding playing times or lineups or schemes. Uh, if there's something that you felt was said by a coach that was unfair or hurtful, um, then we will definitely address those things and maybe clear up those things so that we're all on the same page. But we want to be respectful of the fact that our coaches have some really tough decisions to make, right? Uh, whereas the club scene or the club level, as Doug alluded to earlier, um, you're kind of paying for the expectation that my kids should be able to play. And at the club level, I can kind of pick and choose what team my son or daughter is going to be on. Um, so you're right, Laura, when you come in into the educational base, we got one team, but we might have 40 kids for 20 spots. And then when those 20 kids make the team, now we got to play five or 11 in football. 
you know, so it does create a, a little bit more of a conflict dynamic. But I think, um, you know, communication uh, is always of utmost importance. If you're clearly communicating to a, a young man or a young woman, this is this is the role that I want you to play. That's going to be the best for our team. If you're clearly communicating that role on a daily basis at practice, and you're clearly showing them these are your strengths, these are some of the things you need to get better at to get more playing time. Um, then, then I think that dynamic gets a little bit better. I, again, mom and dad still may disagree, and that's okay, and we tell them that's okay. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, our coaches need to be able to have that assurance um, that they're going to coach their team uh, the way that they think is best um, and, and try to avoid that conflict as much as possible. As administrators, as we work with our coaches, we need to try to create an environment or a culture, we've used that word, where the kids and the families know that we care about them and we love them. And then we have to communicate with them. And sometimes that those things that we communicate aren't going to be things that they want to hear. But if they know that we love them and we care about them, if we're upfront and honest, that's all we can do. And then it's not really our responsibility to deal with it. It's theirs to, their responsibility as parents to take that information and deal with that with their children the best, best way they can. How can parents model for students or teach their students um, to be good humans in an environment that is constantly encouraging self-promotion? That's a great question, Laura. And I, and I think um, this is yet another thing that's changed since the three of us uh, were in our playing days uh, with just social media. And I think that we are a part of this, uh, what I like to call the me generation uh, where how many likes can I get or how many, um, you know, how many comments can I get on this Instagram photo? And, and, and our kids are so inundated with social media where everything I post is about getting that self-gratification from getting responses, right, from other people. So it's no different with our student-athletes. And, and so, so as an athletic director, I try and find a healthy balance between promoting the team's success but also being uh, being able to kind of promote those individual successes from our kids, and this gets back to the fact that you know we have uh, the major majority of our student athletes will not play at the next level. So for them, this is their you know ten minutes of fame per se. If we can put a picture out there or give them a shout out for a goal or a game winning basket or whatever, uh, they're going to feed off of that. Um, but ultimately, if you have your coaches creating that culture that is we, we, we over me, or team first, team first, and then our parents are also buying into that culture, um, then I don't really see a, a problem with, with our kids getting that social media gratification because at the end of the day, their body language at practice or on the bench or their, their effort uh, or their, 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 their things that they do in practice or their conversations with their coach, you know, that's really going to paint the picture of are they fully bought in and invested um, or are they more bought in and invested to what's going on with social media or what their friends are saying to them. Um, so I think social media can be a great thing. Um, again, as long as our coaches are, are kind of painting that picture of, of this we first mindset. Um, but as parents, 
you know, every parent's different. Some of our parents, you know, at the high school level, you know, still don't let their children on social media at all. Um, and I don't know if that's, uh, that's not necessarily a negative thing either, but, um, if we can kind of find that healthy balance between giving them that gratification, um, cause it is pretty cool to see a kid retweet something or, or make a comment, uh, on something that we post about them. Cause I know it means a lot to them. Um, but at the, but at the end of the day, uh, as long as their actions, their in-person actions display that team first attitude, um, then I think it can be an okay thing. From a social media perspective, um, I'll talk about it a little bit as a parent, but also as a coach, um, you know, my daughter, uh, when she was a freshman, she played on an AAU team, and the coach told all of the girls on the team, hey, you need to set up a Twitter account to start promoting yourself to colleges. Uh, as a coach, um, I have a young man currently. Um, he actually just signed yesterday, and um, he he was told early on, hey, this is what you need to do. Build your brand on social media. And so when 270 Hoops or the local um, you know, media um, – platforms, you know, post things, retweet them and get people to follow you. And then coaches will, you know, make comments or follow you along with your career. Um, I heard a, I heard a comment a couple years ago and it, someone said, um, comparison is the thief of joy. And what I have found um, with my daughter and with this young man and many other kids that I've coached is that social media in their lives as it relates to athletics has caused them to compare themselves over and over and over again to other other kids and um you know for these for my daughter and for this this young man that i'm speaking about both of them have dealt with significant pressures that kids shouldn't be dealing with at this age the anxieties of trying to perform to an image that has been created for them that it's not possible for them to to perform to every time they step on the quarter field or whatever it is. So I, I, if I could go back in time as a parent, I would tell my daughter, Hey, we're not doing Twitter. We're going to, we're going to stay away from it. And I don't think that she nor this young man would be at any different place today without Twitter than they would have been with it. But they would have had a lot less, um, a lot less pressure, I think, to deal with in terms of what the image had been created for them online. What kind of impact do you anticipate seeing on athletics from COVID? What do you say to parents that hope their kids are on the trajectory toward competing in athletics beyond high school and perhaps they're concerned my kid's season got cut short or we're not having a season or he had to miss so many games or she had to miss so many games because of quarantine? What do you say to parents that have kind of an increased concern in, in that arena? I think that's a great question, and, and um, I've had some kids ask me about that, and some parents allude to that as well. And, you know, it, it might not be the best answer to share with them, but, you know, I think um, the first thing I share with them is most everybody's kind of in that same boat uh, as well, and, and we do have some kids that we're able to connect with, uh, you know, their personal trainer or, or work out with some other folks, and um, uh, there's not a great answer to that because that is a lot of lost time that our kids had. I mean, our spring athletes um, got to play one scrimmage, and then their entire season was wiped out last year, um, and I have a nephew who was a senior last year and uh, was still fortunate enough to get a scholarship to play baseball at the, at the college level, but for a lot of our kids in the spring, that was their final opportunity 
to prove themselves. So um, obviously that's that's devastating uh, for those kids. But um, you know, just taking advantage of every opportunity possible. I think you know one of the long term effects of COVID might end up being a positive thing, where you know some of our kids who on the on the scale of commitment might have been lower than where we would like them to be. They kind of realized. Uh, you know, kind of that don't know what you got till it's gone, right? And and now now they value practice and every single workout, and um, so so that was you know maybe a positive. But as far as those kids that that want to go play at that that next level, you know, I think we would always tell them to don't be afraid to be a proactive communicator with those coaches uh, that you might want to play for at the next level. And, uh, hey, let's send an email to 30 different coaches and and see who gets back to us, and let's get you on campus for that uh, on-campus visit. And um, their their talent's still going to be there. It's not like they've lost the talent. They might have lost that repetition that's going to let them showcase that talent. But, you know, if they're talented enough – even if they lost a little bit of time here, you know, I, I, th- I think the college coaches are still going to be able to notice that talent and athleticism that they have. Um, but, yeah, I, I think just proactively communicating, always reaching out. And a lot of our kids and our parents uh, just need that guidance on what's my first step to get my kid noticed. Um, if, and some of our kids aren't in club sports but still want to play at that next level. Um, so what's that first step to get noticed? And I would say, you know, reach out to as many coaches as you, as you can uh, and maybe see if you can get that on-campus visit first. We have several unsigned seniors um, that, in my view, would have been signed uh, by this point. Um, but the bonus year that the NCAA and NAIA have um, you know, given to allow college athletes to have that extra year is, is making it very difficult for the 21s and probably for the class of 22 uh, what we're, what we're telling our kids is, you know, you got to control what you can control, you know, just keep working as hard as you can work, put yourself in the best position that you can be in. And what, what I have found from my experience with the kids that I've had opportunity to help, um, you know, move towards the college level is college athletics. Kids have no understanding of what it takes to play at that level. And it is often not about the best players in college. It's about the kids who can hang in there over the course of four years that, you know, persevere through the ups and downs. So that's what I've been sharing with our kids is, hey, be one of those kids. If you want to play college athletics, you might have to take a different road than what typically a student would have to take. And uh, you might have to go the route of a junior college or, you know, a prep school, or you might have to walk on somewhere or. There's just a lot of different options that kids might have to look at, you know, for the upcoming years because of what colleges are going to do with that bonus year. Doug and Kevin, you have older kids and Wes and I have younger children. What is one piece of advice that you would give to parents with younger kids who are just perhaps entering the world of sports with their kids? You're going to get the dad and the grandfather perspective in me and and uh, I would tell you because I'm watching this with with my grandchildren. It might be, uh, you you know, way back when I think I started baseball when I was eight, maybe nine, and, and that's as early as you could start it. And now I have two that played t-ball on the same team at four, and they play two innings, and you know, one of those type of things. And, and I I would say just get them involved in things that the family can enjoy. And go into it just wanting to have fun, but make it a, a fun experience and and um, 
you know, and, and that starts with the, the parent's attitude uh, towards their child. Number one, the most important thing is you got to make sure you know, your son or daughters know that um, you, you love them regardless of their performance. And um, to me, that's, that's the, the most important thing that your kids, that our kids, your son or daughter should know is regardless of how they perform, that you love them no matter what. And uh, that's something that I've learned as a, as a parent through many failures um, that I think I'm doing better now, but I wish I would have known when I was younger. Kevin, Wes, Doug, thank you for lending your voices and your expertise on this topic. And thank you for joining us as we discuss school sports. A new episode of the Navigating Your Child's Education podcast will be published on the first and third Wednesday of each month. Make sure to subscribe so that the latest episode shows up in your preferred podcast library. 